What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I've got special guest Cassie Wild on the line. She is a carnivore, and we're going to dive into all things carnivore. We're going to talk about how she got into the space, what she's noticed since being carnivore, how it's impacted her hormones, her training, her nutrition, her everything. Uh, we talk about we talk about her training. We talk about how not eating carbs pre, intra, and post workout has impacted things. We talk about how her hormones have been affected from removing all carbohydrates and doing just strict carnivore. We talk about some of the carbs and other foods that she's introduced and how they've impacted her when she's experimented with them. And we talk about how to cook the perfect steak. So lots of topics of discussion. I learned a ton. Hope you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, without further ado, sit back, relax, enjoy this conversation with Cassie Wild. And Cassie, we're live. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Robert? I am doing wonderfully well. I'm excited to talk because I feel like carnivore and females has got a lot of questions around it. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been doing my best to kind of share my experience, but I know there's still a lot of things that people have questions on. So maybe we can answer some of those through this. I think we will. I think we will. I'd love to get a little backstory on you first. Like, how did you come across carnivore in the first place what what has led you down this life path yeah so i started eating carnivore last march and it was because of some skin issues i was having so i was familiar with the carnivore diet because my boyfriend had been doing it for quite some time in an attempt to help heal some joint injuries and issues that he was having that were more CrossFit related and just from wear and tear. And he was hearing that people were having success with, with healing and um, more, you know, musculoskeletal uh, relief uh, by eating, you know, an all meat diet. So he had been doing that for quite some time and was doing just beef and eggs. And he noticed a little bit of improvement um, with the joints, but also just kind of more mental clarity and everything. I made fun of him for a while because I just thought it was so goofy. Um, but then I started in March because I was kind of at my wit's end with trying to figure out why I kept having this cystic acne. And I had tried everything I could possibly think of. And I've kind of talked on this before, but I, I mean, I went through like heavy metal detox protocols and, all this different gut health stuff. And I tried cleaning up everything in my house. I don't use any chemicals on anything and um, try to, I, I really eliminated a lot of things out of my diet. And at this time, right prior to eating carnivore, all I was eating was meat and a few vegetables. So I really only had like sweet potato, broccoli, and I was still doing a little bit of honey and just a few plant foods in there. Otherwise, it was it was all animal products. So just by eliminating those five or six um, plant foods, or you know, mostly it was mostly vegetable and a little. I wasn't really eating any fruit, but the honey and coconut was also in there. Um, just by eliminating that within two weeks, I noticed a huge, huge difference in my skin. So that's when I kind of got hooked and realized that okay, I'm onto something here and. After following Sean Baker for a while, and then it was when I first heard Paul Saladino on Ben Greenfield's podcast that I finally said, okay, 
I'm going to give this a try. I don't think I'm going to die. So <laughs> that's kind of how I, how I ended up trying this out. And I started sharing my experience about it and just kind of been rolling with it from there. I love it. I love it. It's kind of crazy. Like I think people that have never really dealt with, you know, severe acne, I, I just feel like they can never possibly relate to what it's like. I used to have crazy bad acne and I, I tried everything under the sun. I was using Accutane for a little while. That was the only thing that really worked, but I, there's no telling how much money I spent on like over the counter topical stuff. In hindsight, had I, you know, know what I know now about nutrition, I would have changed that first and that probably would have made all the difference. Yeah. And that's, I think, where, um, you know, knowing what I know, I never really had issues with horrible acne until I would say about this time last year. Yeah, it was probably maybe fall or so when I really started noticing it. So I don't know what happened there. Maybe I was just because I hadn't really changed much in my diet, but I know that diet can absolutely affect the health of the skin and it's reflecting outward, you know, whatever's going on inside that's wrong is kind of showing on the outside. So that's why I kind of went through and, and tried everything. At this point, I think maybe the foods and the vegetables that I was choosing were higher oxalate that, you know, that now reading more and looking a little bit more into it, I think maybe that's what my issue was. Mm -hmm. And I know I've always had issues with chocolate and um, dairy, but so yeah, I had eliminated sugar and gluten and dairy and all the, the main, the things that people would originally think and most people have released by doing that. So yeah. So it was just something that kept stumping me and I kind of, uh, just jumped into this carnivore thing, not really expecting much from it, but it's, it's made a world of difference in my skin. So what is like a typical day of eating look like for you now? Yeah. So now, now I eat about a pound and a half of muscle meat a day. Um, sometimes closer to two if I'm training harder and I'm hungrier. But I usually stick to New York strip or ribeye as far as my, my steak cuts. Um, and I also get an extra fatty grind of ground beef. Mm -hmm. So for a while I was experimenting with more, more of the nose to tail approach. And I still do incorporate... Um, organ meats from time to time, but I can't say I felt much better when I did eat the organ meats. I didn't really, really feel better at all. Um, so I kind of have just gone through cycling them. I take ancestral supplements just to, I think it's more just a, just, just for me to feel like I'm getting more micronutrients or more nutrients from, um, from only eating animal product. And so really I'm just eating mostly beef. I'll incorporate some sardines or salmon here and there. I also do beef suet. Um, and bone, we like to do bone marrow. Usually I'll eat that raw and a little bit of bone broth here and there, but I've really been keeping it super simple. And I find I've been finding that's actually how I feel the best. So with the, the fattier steaks there and like the fattier cuts of ground beef, it sounds like you're probably roughly around the one-to-one -one ratio of protein to fat or maybe even a little higher on the fat. Yeah, yeah. So I found that I if my, my fat is too low, because for a while I was doing, I was doing probably about, I would say maybe the one-to-one -one ratio. And with that, I found my energy levels dropping from time to time. 
so what I've noticed more recently within the past few months is that naturally I just, my body kind of is cycling with the fats. Mm-hmm. So, um, there are times that I'm eating leaner protein and it's probably a little bit higher protein. And then I'll go through, you know, phases where a week or two, my body just wants really, really fatty cuts or a lot more fat. So I just kind of let my body dictate what it wants, when it wants it. And it, it does change. And, um, so I wouldn't say, you know, I'm always eating super, super high fat because if I'm training harder, I find that I do need to eat a little bit more protein to feel well with recovery and everything as well. I feel like a lot of the argument for, I mean, it's all contextual, right? There's so many nuances in nutrition and the approach you take, but I feel like for athletes, I mean, you're obviously very fit and athletic. You're burning a lot of calories throughout the day. I feel like it makes sense and warrants the need for a higher fat ratio than a lot of people that gravitate towards a much higher protein. I mean, protein in itself is not a really good substrate for energy, whereas, you know, you're either getting your energy predominantly from fat or carbs, and hopefully everybody listening to this is getting it from fat. So I feel like it makes total sense to have that higher fat ratio. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't train, train high intensity quite as much anymore. So once I, once I stopped training high intensity, I found that I could drop my protein a little bit more and focus on the fats. And that's when I really started feeling well eating this way. But when I first started, I was eating a l- way more protein. I'm, and sometimes I was eating over three pounds of meat a day. And I mean, I weigh 135 pounds. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, it's eating three and a half pounds of meat a day is just kind of absurd. So I had to tweak a lot of things to finally get to where I'm at now, but now I'm at definitely a kind of more of like a maintenance maintenance place in my diet where I feel like it's sustainable and the amount I eat, it doesn't, I'm not burning up so much that I'm, I have to eat an absolute absurd amount either. So finally finding a good place here with the carnivore world. What does your training look like now? Like you're doing cardio? Is it predominantly resistance training? Like what was your training split looking like? Yeah. So it's kind of hard to explain because I really just make it up as I go. And that kind of annoys people when I say that for some reason. But um, I previously, and you know, when I first started training, I was doing a lot of CrossFit. So everything was kind of high intensity and I was also doing strength and, you know, I had all these crazy lifts going on, but now I focus on there's, I, I, I kind of organize it as the first part of my programming. I like to focus on strength. So that's where I'll just do kind of five by fives or three by fives. And I usually don't do anything over five reps with that. So then I, I just pick big movements that I like to do. And I actually don't like to do a ton of squatting or deadlifting. I do from time to time, but the major lifts that I do are, well, not even, I do lunges. Those are, those are kind of my leg thing. I love doing unilateral training. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of geared more towards unilateral movements. So I'll do, you know, heavy, heavy dumbbell rows or heavy barbell rows, um, weighted pull-ups or dips and lunges and, I love doing bench. I love doing power cleans. So I do that, but then I also like to incorporate more of a 
a bodybuilding style. So I do a lot of hypertrophy and I'll do a lot of drop sets or, you know, sets to failure with light weight. I love doing body weight training. So I do a lot of that. I love doing anything. I just made a post about doing static, static holds, anything static. I love planks, you know, weighted planks anything like that. So really from day to day, it just, I just kind of go into it now saying, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to figure it out and it's going to be a great workout. So I just make it up as I go. And that has been working for me and um, kind of moving away from something structured has taken a lot of the edge off of training for me. And I actually enjoy it again, where I think I was getting too caught up in and following programming or something so structured and if I didn't feel good doing something one day I would you know get down on myself or beat myself up over it and really I've just kind of turned it into something that that I enjoy doing so it's I, been great I totally can resonate with that I mean I'm I'm just now starting to track my workouts I've, I've pretty much trained instinctively for the majority of my lifting career but I'm tracking now in a contest prep, but for the most part, I mean, I I like just going with it, you know, kind of going with the flow and see what my body's feeling that day. Because so many people, I mean, they they lose touch with their body if they're just religiously tracking everything. And it, I mean, that's a good skill to have is like knowing and being in tune with your body. Absolutely, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I think that's where I do think that's where people kind of get lost in their potential because when we follow, you know, I, it's hard to say, it's hard to say that would probably make some people mad to hear that, but <laughs> I really think that, you know, the possibilities are endless when you just kind of listen to yourself as well, rather than having somebody always tell you what to do or having something so structured to do. And, um, and everybody's different, but if you find what works best for you and, and training more intuitively works for you, I think that, you know, sometimes you can almost, almost expect, excel a little bit further but it depends on the person depends on where they're at in their journey too totally totally with your training now like would you consider it pretty glycolytically demanding or are you having enough recovery and is it like low intensity enough that you're not really depleting glycogen stores it depends on the day completely um i would say that the glycolytic activity maybe maybe three days a week right now um, so I'm definitely focusing more on knowing when to rest where before it was just one of those things that it's like, okay, you know, I'm sore, but I'm still going to do this the next day or, you know, the next two days. So I would say for sure, since I've changed up my training structure and I'm not doing as much high intensity, maybe three days a week that I'm doing more glycolytic activity. Are you using any intra-workout or pre-workout carbs for that, or are you pretty much just keeping it strict carnivore throughout? Yeah, no, I'm not doing any carbs right now. I did experiment with carbs back in summer for, I'd say, two or three months where I was trying to do pre-workout carbs, and it was okay, but I, I think it did help with the high-intensity training but I also know that training the high intensity was was part of my issue and just how I was feeling in general. Um, I think I just spent too long beating my body down where mm-hmm. I, I just kind of needed to take a step back from it altogether. So once I took a step back from that, I stopped using carbs or eating, eating the carbs again. And 
I, I don't do any intra-workout carbs. I, I haven't been um, experimenting with that anymore, but there might come a point where I want to again. I just haven't been recently. I would have to assume that like with you being as deeply adapted as you are now, being like super strict, you know, keto carnivore that I think you'd be surprised. I feel like you would not see any benefit from adding carbs back in. Like I feel like a lot of the people that do notice an inherent benefit with the intra, the pre-workout carbs are noticing that because they're not as deeply adapted, like the body hasn't really become, you know, 100% efficient at replenishing glycogen. Whereas once you reach that state, you're only really going backwards by introducing the carbs. That's that's what I've noticed in myself personally, at least. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's super interesting to see what what's happening, you know, with other athletes and and what's happening with their training with the carbs. And I know there's a lot of um, like the super carbs out there that I've seen people using. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my problem was just, just that I wasn't finding ones that that kind of made me that made me actually feel good. Um, some, you know, I started doing sweet potatoes again and I know that was affecting my skin. Um, and I noticed that I was getting headaches after eating the carbs and that was kind of that two to three month experiment where I just had a hard time finding the, the right carbs maybe. Um, and I tried things like white rice, which I never liked rice. So that was, it was almost like I was forcing it down. I'm like, why am I even doing this? It's awful. So um, I think I just, I've just had a hard time finding, you know, finding my fit there with the carbs again. Yeah, totally. Totally. What about the, uh, the whole like grass fed versus grain fed debate? I'm, I'm curious to get your take on that. Yeah, so I 100% promote regenerative agriculture and supporting local farmers. And um, we we moved out to a, a small farming community. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where I don't think to see benefits on carnivore, it's 100% necessary to eat what, you know, all grass-fed meat, grass, grass-finished meat. And a lot of times the grass grass finished meats are a lot leaner. So what I've noticed is that the meats that I was getting, and I do still get it from time to time because I love supporting, you know, our, our neighboring farmers and, and the people who are doing things in the best way possible for the earth and, you know, for, for the soil, it's amazing. But I think I also have been kind of leaning more towards some of the grain finished meats because it it is fattier um or there's farmers who also just remove the cattle from pasture to fatten them up so they don't grain finish them they'll just immobilize them a little bit more so they fatten up before butcher so i do like to know absolutely where my meat's coming from and the practices of the farmers and i think that's the most important issue because i think there's absolutely farmers who are using grain and still supporting um, the best farming practices. So I think it's more a matter of, you know, who, who's doing things in the way that's best supporting our earth. And part of it, I think is just going to be a personal preference thing, um, for people and, and whether they want to eat a little leaner, you know, ribeye or something, because if it's grass finished, it usually will be, or maybe a little fattier if it's grain finished. Mm-hmm. So I think I kind of can go, you know, I, I can see all the perspectives on it, but absolutely 100%, I think people should be becoming more educated on the farming practices and 
commercial farming versus, you know, holistic or regenerative agriculture. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, misinformation out there. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't pretty much all grain fed or grain finished rather? It's pretty much grass fed for like the the first 70% of the cattle's life. So it's only grain finished really more so than, than anything. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that with, with that being said, that's usually what I lean more towards because I do like my meats a little bit fattier because I feel better when I'm eating the fattier meat. And correct me if I'm wrong on this one too, but the, uh, one of the main arguments for promoting grass fed or grass finished versus grain finished is the favorable omega-3 to omega-6 ratio but at the end of the day when it's all said and done there's not that much disparity between the two i mean like you would be able to offset that with i mean just any other kind of source of omega that you're taking in and i i'm in the same position as you that's how i understand it and from what i've read and from the research that i've done that's exactly correct okay gotcha gotcha now i I will say that there is a lot i don't know i've had some some grass finished steaks that just do not taste as good as a good grain finished steak. Um, I prefer the fattier cuts, you know, as well. Um, but I can also fatten up the leaner cuts. I mean, it really is just kind of know what your goals are, know what your fat to protein ratio desire is and kind of tweaking things as you go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's where, when I do eat the, the more grain, um, excuse me, grass finished meats, that's where I'll sometimes add beef suet or bone marrow or something that's really fatty to feel better when I'm eating those. Because if my fat isn't high enough, I notice that's when my sleep gets affected, my energy levels fall. Um, so making, I think that's kind of been my biggest um, hurdle is figuring out how to get more fat while still eating the most optimal meats. And that's kind of where the bone marrow and beef suet have really kind of saved me in that sense. Well, shoot, I'd give you a keto brick, but that's not a hardcore carnivore meal, so I don't want to go for it. More fat, anything more fat. Yeah, and that's something, too. And I know um, you guys use coconut in there, right? Uh, some of them. We have one that, I mean, we have several that don't have any coconut, but one okay. one is coconut. Um, okay, yeah. And that was, I'm like looking at them and looking at ingredients, and I... I have such issues with coconut. I don't know what it is. I think I just always, I don't know. I think I overdid it with coconut for too long, but um, it's definitely something I'm going to try incorporating back in. And I just posted something about my rebel ice cream experiment and it was just awful. It was horrible. I feel alone in the world now with not caring for rebel ice cream, but the keto bricks are the next on my list. So did it, did the ice cream mess with your skin or what was it? Yeah, well, so it didn't really mess with my skin. I tried it for the first time um, several days back, and I felt awful. First off, it was really, really, really sweet, and it was way sweeter than I expected it to be. It gave me a horrible headache, and I had horrible anxiety trying to go to sleep that night, um, even though I ate it, in a, I think it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So <laughs> I just had horrible headache, horrible anxiety, slept awful for two nights. And I had the worst acid reflux, which is very strange for me because even when I would eat crap food, like I still did not get acid reflux. That's so abnormal for me. So I don't know what it was, but my body just hated the rebel ice cream. And I tried the mint and the cookie dough 
Um, and it just, I don't know. I will probably never have it again. <laughs> that's not good. Yeah. That does not sound like a desirable, <laughs> desirable results by any means. No, no, it was, it was pretty bad. You mentioned beef suet a few times. I just placed an order for, I think like five pounds of beef suet. So how do you, how do you prepare it? Like, how do you cook it? I'm, I'm trying to learn something here and try something new. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. I actually don't really do much to it. I like to just eat it raw. Um, so I, I cut it up when I first get it. Depends on if I get it frozen or, or if it hadn't been frozen yet. But I let it thaw out enough to cut it just into small little cubes. And I freeze it. And then when I want it, I really just kind of eat it. Um, to me, it's kind of, I don't really eat any dairy anymore. But um, it's kind of like eating cheese for me, <laughs> which sounds kind of weird, but they're in like little cubes. And when it's frozen, it's just kind of like a little snack almost, or sometimes I'll put it in the oven in the cast iron or something with um, other meat that's cooking just to kind of um, give it a little different texture. But that's actually something that I, I prefer raw. And if it's cooked too much, then you get the tallow. And that's another thing that I found is I personally don't do well with a lot of the, um, the cooked, like the cooked fats or the, the extra processed fatty things like ghee or tallow. Um, so that's why I kind of like to keep it raw and same with the bone marrow. Yeah. You lose a lot of the nutrients when you, you know, render it basically. Uh, is, so I've had several people say that the suet you could like stick in the air fryer for like a very short amount of time and get like a little crust on it basically, but not, cause it to render basically um so i'm thinking about trying that but I'll, I'll definitely try just eating it raw i mean i haven't had much cheese lately so if it's got the similar <laughs> texture to cheese that might be hitting the spot yeah yeah for sure and i i got an air fryer and i've been doing steaks in there but i haven't tried the suet but i'm sure it would turn out great yeah i'll have to give that a shot let's talk about hormones like how have your hormones as a female been affected uh with carnivore like have you noticed any adverse effects or has it all been positive yeah, so this was a huge thing when I first started carnivore. And um, so within the first month of being carnivore, very, very strict, I it totally messed up my cycle. And for the first time, I mean, ever, except for during pregnancy, I did not have my cycle that month. And that for about three months, um, I was doing a lot of different things. I was changing up the fats that I was doing. Um, I was playing with the fat to protein ratio. And um, I was in touch with with Paul Saladino on this. And we were trying to figure out, okay, what's going on here? Because everything else seemed to be improving. But um, I, I didn't want it really messing with my hormones. So that was my only concern when I first started carnivore. But as I continued on and started changing some of the more stressful things in my life and managing my stress better and eliminating the stress of high intensity training. Um, within about a month or so of doing that and also reincorporating carbs, which my body was craving like blueberries and broccoli and cucumber and sweet potatoes. So I started eating those again for a month. Um, I quit doing, like I said, the high intensity training and my cycle came back. So I, I was kind of stumped cause I, I changed so many things at once where I was thinking, okay, was it the carbs or was it because I was reducing stress and 
my body was just way too stressed out trying to train really hard with zero carb. So um, I kind of let things play out for a few months and just wanted to make sure that things were regulated again. And once I was in a consistent pattern of my, my new training without the high intensity workouts, I started doing strict carnivore again in August because I wanted to see if now, now I realized, okay, if I lose my, my period again, <laughs> it's probably because of carnivore. Right. Um, but once I, I went carnivore again and was not doing the high intensity training, I haven't had any issues with, with my cycle. So, um, from that perspective, I think it's pretty, pretty safe to say that it wasn't carnivore and it was just more the combination of stressors um, that had affected my hormones. I haven't had any hormone panels done. That was my next step if if I couldn't kind of re-regulate things on my own. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, I think things are pretty good. Do you happen to have any idea what your caloric intake was the first time uh, you, you tried carnivore and when you started incorporating the carbs versus now? Um, you mean when I was carnivore, when I was eating all the meat and added the carbs in? Yes. I, you know, it's really hard to say. I would say, because at that point I was eating probably 2,500 calories worth of animal product and then, you know, maybe another five, 600. So I was probably eating like 31, 3,200 calories wow. at that point, but it was also training very intense. So then, um, once I cut back on training so intense, I obviously cut back on the amount of calories I was eating. Um, and that's when I noticed actually, yeah. Cause then I had went down in calories, went down in high intensity training and that's when things seemed to, to re-regulate. Huh. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like the, the training may have been one of the big stimulating factors there. Absolutely. And I've talked with other women on this too, and it seems to be a commonality amongst, I would say this, this group of us who are at a lower body fat percentage to begin with. So I think by eating zero carb, being at a lower body fat percentage, there's just, I don't think, you know, and training super intensely, I don't think that's a great combination for, for any of the women. Um, and I, you know, I think it's much different if you have a lot more fat stores to be utilized. And um, at this point, like I said, though, my body fat percentage really hasn't changed much at all. And I mean, I would say in probably the past several years now, and it's just everything has seemed to kind of level out the training, chill, chilling out on the training and managing life stressors much better. I, I haven't had any issues with with eating carnivore at this point, so I, do, I hope it continues that way. Yeah, I do too. Do you know what your current body fat percentage is? Have you got like a DEX or anything recently? No, I don't know, and I I really don't care. Like it doesn't matter to me one way or another, as long as I feel good and as long as I'm able to do what I want to do and train how I want to train. Um, as as long as as long as I can do that, it really doesn't matter to me at all. And I know it's it's different for people who compete and things. And if I were, um, I would probably be more concerned about that. But at this point, I'm just I'm just on this health journey. I just want to feel good. No, that's totally totally good. I mean, you're you're super lean. I mean, you're 
you're shredded and you're able to you know work out hard and live live life to the fullest i mean that's that should be everybody's main goal that's absolutely that's my goal and if you know if it took more body fat to be able to to live great and feel great you know i'd be all for that but if i'm able to you know maintain my body composition and in the way that i am now and and train the way i am now eat the way i am now that would just be great but i know things change and you know our body cycle and what works at one point might you know, might not work at another. So I'm always open to, to changing the way I do things and continuously experimenting with, with different things that, you know, that feel like it balances my body best. Totally. Totally. I know, uh, Paul Saldino has talked about this at length, but I'm curious to get your take on basically plant anti-nutrients, like these, uh, toxins within plants that people are like the oxalates that you mentioned earlier. Like, can you just kind of dive into that subject a little bit? Yeah, so from I I do think that there's absolutely, you know, there's there's things that people need to understand about anti-nutrients. And I'm also coming from more of a Weston A. Price background, if you're familiar with Weston Price and you know those principles, um, they they're more inclusive. So they say, okay, you can eat the grains and eat this stuff, but you have to know how to prepare them and you have to soak them and sprout them and, um, you know, to deactivate some of those anti-nutrients. And there's people who've been doing this for years and years and years and, you know, and they're not having all these issues. So I kind of teeter back and forth between um, this, this line of, okay, okay, anti-nutrients really aren't always that bad. And sometimes they really are absolutely terrible. And, you know, plants are trying to kill us depending on who the person is and what state of health they're in. If somebody has very compromised gut health to begin with, I think they're going to react, you know, even to, you know, double fermented sourdough bread sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I think it really depends on the person. And if somebody is in absolute wonderful health, you know, their gut health is in check and, and all, everything's in place, you know, to have these, these nutrients or anti-nutrients digested appropriately, I think absolutely there are people who can handle them better. But that's not the majority of people anymore. And people are becoming sicker and sicker and sicker. And you know, I think it's just the anti-nutrients just build on top of so many other things that are happening to our bodies and our health and, you know, these, you know, estrogens and all these things that are just, you know, happening to affect the gut and the brain. And so I think to, it's hard to say one way or another, whether that's, you know, every single person in the world should stay away from, you know, the oxalates and the lectins, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think they need to, but I think the majority of people should be aware of them and um, and definitely understand them to to find what's going to best help them heal or you know thrive. Totally agree. I feel like there's just I don't know. Plants are always given this halo, and people need to be aware of both sides of the spectrum. So, kind of diving into that and then just experimenting on themselves and seeing how their body responds is the best thing anybody can do. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, you know, I've, through my own experience, like I said, I, I'm, I'm starting to realize that maybe I do have more issues with the oxalates, but is that also because 
you know, my gut health isn't optimal at, at this point, or even though I think it might not be bad, there might still be something affecting, you know, affecting my gut health as to why I can't process these as well. So I think, you know, it's one of those things over time, as we continue to heal, it's, it's kind of fun to re-experiment with those things and see how we can tolerate it. Totally. So you mentioned that you don't really notice a benefit with incorporating more of the organ meats, like the nose to tail approach. That's definitely the sexy thing right now within the carnivore circles. So what is it that, I mean, what kind of markers are you looking at? Like, what are you noticing when you do more organ-based versus not? Um, I I incorporate them myself, but it's kind of more of like a way to hedge my bets, so to speak. Like, I don't notice an acute finite difference whenever I incorporate them. Yeah, I, so I had been eating organ meats prior to actually being carnivore. Um, and that was more that Weston Price influence too. And I was, I was doing liver and tongue and heart primarily, um, then just other little things here and there. But, um, so I, for a while, I, you know, it's one of those things where if I eat liver for a couple days, I, I do not want it whatsoever after a few days. Like I can tell that my body is saying, Hey, you've had enough liver. Um, there was one point too, where I think I was just way overdoing the liver and I actually started kind of getting headaches and just felt really off. And I think, I think it was the liver. And once I eliminated it again, I felt great, but I kind of go through cycles with it. Um, and, and this is just my take on it. And I've talked with this about other, other influential people in the carnivore world, but the way I look at it is, you know, ancestrally speaking, if we killed a large animal, there's only, you know, one liver, right? And that would be split amongst how many people, and there's not unlimited amounts of organ meats and the the organ meats are the minority of the amount of animal product that you would get from, you know, from killing an animal. So, I personally don't think, you know, eating just crazy unlimited amounts of organ meats is the way that our body is meant to do it. Some people might feel great. And I think some people are very, very nutrient deficient where they would benefit more from kind of having them in a surplus for a period of time. But I think once our bodies are, you know, healing and in balance, I don't know if we need to be consuming crazy amounts of organ meats. Um, I absolutely think people should be. Um, but I think how much is, is the question in my head? No, I, I totally agree. I'm on the same page you there. I think my, my, my biggest argument for incorporating organ meats is like, I love ribeyes just like anybody, but I mean, if I was eating, like if I killed an animal and just ate the ribeye and left everything else, I mean, that wouldn't be good. Like the same is true in today's modern world. Like if you eat just the ribeyes. I mean, the rest of the animals probably getting eaten by other people, but I personally want to do my part to, you know, consume as much of that single animal as possible. Yeah, 100%. And that's how I am as well. And I truly believe that people should be eating the animals nose to tail. No, no question about it. Um, like I said, it's absolutely something people should be experimenting with, in my opinion. Um, but each person, you know, what they're what they're going to eat and how much they should eat, I think is still kind of a question in my head. And um, like I said, I, I do cycle, um, cycle the organ meats. 
and I cycle or um, ancestral supplements. I like their organ complex and I like the bone marrow. Sometimes I'll take the trachea and most recently I've been taking the brain. Um, so I absolutely love them and I think people should be incorporating them, but I think for a while, you know, I, th I think some people were kind of going overboard and I had some people reach out and say, I don't feel good when I'm eating all this liver <laughs> and they were yeah. eating, you know, like six ounces a day for weeks. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, that might be a little bit too much, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I don't, I don't eat that much liver by any means. And I don't eat like the, the whole raw liver gang thing picked up a lot of momentum and I am not a fan of that either. Like I don't like the raw liver. <laughs> See, that's the only way I can eat it. I actually cannot, there, there's different pâtés that I've had with, um, if there's bacon in it and it's a beef liver pâté, I can handle that. Chicken liver is much easier to eat. I love chicken heart. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as raw, raw beef liver, frozen raw beef liver is pretty much the only way I can go on that. A little liver and onions doesn't do anything for you? No, no, that's, it's awful. And I think when I would cook liver, it always turned kind of green. And I don't know if that's the copper or what's going on there, but there just seemed to be some weird chemical change in the in the, the meat and the liver where it just kind of grossed me out. And then if we wouldn't eat it right away and put it in the refrigerator, it just never tasted as good afterwards. So we'd always end up throwing out some of the liver that the cooked liver. So I don't know. I don't think there was enough um onion and garlic that we could <laughs> put in it to make it taste great. So rather than, you know, um, being, being sort of miserable sometimes eating it, I think just going with the raw and the frozen, it, it does kind of taste a little bit sweet. And I like, I like the texture like that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. So what are some, I mean, do you, do you feel like you'll get bored of carnivore? I feel like that's one of people's largest knocks against it. Like, I mean, you, you can find a lot of different ways to cook a steak, don't get me wrong, but I feel like in the grand scheme of things, most people would view it as not having enough variability and, and kind of a, a wide spectrum of things to please their palate with. Yeah, and really, if I felt great eating a lot of other things, I would be doing it. It's just that right now at this point, I don't feel great eating a lot of other things. So I know it's just part of a healing process, and I hope you know, at some point I can incorporate other things because I do, I like food. I like to make different things. Um, I love making different healthy dishes. I love, um, I love, you know, making like keto treats and, you know, I, I like doing all that and I, I want to be able to enjoy those things. Um, so I think right now I'm okay eating, you know, predominantly animal product. Um, and I, I hope in time that, you know, some of these foods that I've eliminated, I can bring back in and feel fine eating them. Um, but I definitely think people do get bored eating all meat. Um, and part of that is just kind of, it's a, it's a very, I think it's the hardest part is mentally wrapping your head around it. Um, because for so long, it's, you know, we, we think about variety and people like variety and people like to cook and do all those social events. You know, I think I, the ideal way to eat would be, you know, intuitively and to, you know, satisfy more of a metabolically flexible structure with, with food. So I don't think people need to be in ketosis all the time. I don't think people need to be strict carnivore all the time. Um, but if, you know, if somebody's healing from a chronic disease or an auto 
beam condition, sometimes being so strict with it for a period of time is necessary. So to say that, you know, that's what I'm going to do forever is not, I mean, absolutely not. I really hope that's not the case. Um, but for the time being, I'm, I'm going to stay pretty strict with it and I'll slowly try incorporating things and, um, try not to get sick of, <laughs> of eating meat, which it's happened. It really has happened a couple times. Um, but you know, I don't know. I think just switching from steaks to ground for me sometimes just even that little, that little change in beef is, is enough to be like, okay, I'm not so bored, but, um, I don't know. We'll see in time. There's a lot of people out there, some really, really great ideas on how to keep things carnivore, but also creative. So I kind of like to feed off of them as well. Well, what is your like favorite go-to carnivore meal? Like if you were to just prepare like a, a dish for somebody to try and, you know, wow them, what would it be? Um, well, I haven't really personally, I haven't gotten super creative with carnivore, but I do, I mean, anything with bacon, you know, anytime you're like doing something with bacon, that's kind of what I go to. I love just a ribeye with, with bacon. <laughs> <laughs> and you cook it in the I, air fryer basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah, it's super simple. And, um, I mean, there's a lot of people out there who have a lot more creative meals and a lot more, do a lot more with the nose to tail, but um, I do keep it pretty simple, and at this point, I, I do enjoy that. Do you cook it from frozen, or do you let it thaw out first? So the air fryer, I've tried both, um, but I prefer it when it's from frozen because I think that helps the middle stay more rare and lets the outside get crispier. So that's what I've found, um, but I also have done it where it's raw, and I think, like I said, the middle will get a little bit more done quicker. So then the outside won't get as crispy, but it's been, I really like the air fryer. It's been really, really convenient. I just, I kind of question the, um, the chemical or the metal possibly leaching into the food. Um, cause it does smell kind of plasticky. Um, yeah. I have a Ninja one. I don't, I'm not familiar with all of them, but that's just been kind of my initial observation is, is the smell is a little bit kind of a plasticky or chemically smell. But it's oh so easy to cook with it. <laughs> so easy and so convenient. So I'll I'll do it. I'll do it here and there. Probably not every single meal, but um, and I don't feel any different when I'm eating it. So I'll just keep doing it. <laughs> what? Because uh, I've tried doing it from frozen air fryer. I I think I've got the ninja. I don't remember. But what is the the temperature and time setting on yours? Yeah. So I do the air broil setting, which is 450 degrees. And as far as timing, um, if the steak is cut a little over an inch, it takes about seven or eight minutes aside. Um, I did do this. It was like a three pound ribeye and it was super thick. It was probably two inches thick. And I think that one took maybe like 10 or 12 minutes aside from frozen. And that's, that's yielding like a medium rare. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I'll have to try that for sure. I, uh, yeah. I've been experimenting with all different cooking methods. Right now, my my top is doing a reverse sear on the Traeger, but that takes, I mean, that's like an hour endeavor, so much much longer in time. Sure, yeah, not not as quick and convenient as an air fryer, but but a different a different kind of delicious. Definitely, definitely. Well, I got one more question for you. 
what is like what what are you excited about what's coming up in your future within the carnivore space just in general like what what's got you excited especially going into 2020 um you know i'm just i'm excited to connect more with the people who i think are struggling a little bit i've had a lot of a lot more people reaching out um i i try it's it's funny because you know, in, in my profession, professional life, I don't really talk about carnivore all that much, especially, you know, working with people who, you know, some, some people are vegan, some people are vegetarian, and they don't come to me to try and have me change their mind on, you know, on eating or something. So it's the, the whole Instagram, the whole carnivore thing is kind of like just my little personal side fun. So just being able to connect with more people and, you know, share my experiences and hope that other people, you know, will benefit from, from some of my trial and error. That's just kind of what I'm, what I'm doing with the whole carnivore thing. And I don't really have any big plans at this point, but if I ever do, I'll share them. <laughs> I lied to you. I've actually got another question. Um, cause you're a nutritional therapist by trade, right? Yeah. So every nutritional therapist I've had on, they deep dive into, um, you know, the benefits of certain types of vegetables from a digestive standpoint, like, uh, like, like something as simple as like some of the bitters, you know, just all the little nuanced sure. things that people don't really think about. Um, with you being predominantly carnivore, have you, like, you have this education that you get with being a nutritional therapist, but you're carnivore. Do you feel like there's a benefit to some of those things or maybe you're not benefiting from it simply because you're trying to heal you personally but like would somebody that's not as affected by um, all the plant matter would they see a benefit I'm, I'm kind of in a shade of gray there yeah so this it's interesting because um our primary work in the nutrition my dad's a chiropractor but we also do um, nutrition response testing which i don't know if a lot of people are familiar with it but it's a form of muscle testing so basically just testing your body's neurological response to different nutritional stimuli which are usually supplements and in that we do use a lot of herbal complexes. Um, the, a lot of them are animal glandular products. Um, so w with that, there are a lot of supplements that do have different plant components that we do utilize for people um, if they muscle test well for them. So I think absolutely um, there are people who can definitely benefit from these things in different concentrated amounts. Um, different herbals for sure. I'm, I really am a huge fan of things like adaptogens, using them temporarily for people. Um, and I mean, most, most herbs we don't use long-term or want to use long-term, but um, absolutely to kind of give people's bodies a kickstart or to work through something that might be, um, might be more of a burden or a stressor on the body like if somebody has a heavy metal toxicity you know we might want to use more drainage herbs to help with that and so i think when we look at it from that standpoint um you know different viral conditions there's a lot of herbal products that can definitely benefit i don't think only meat um, can cure everything all the time i think sometimes we do need some assistance from some of these things so i'm not I don't write off plants completely as being, you know, 100% an issue for everybody all the time. They definitely can be a benefit depending on how they're used um, and and how they're sourced and, and, and all of that. So I think it's really important, especially as herbs, to look at where they're coming from. And Australians, and Australian herbs are usually 
some of the better ones. So we kind of, uh, we kind of prefer that, but it, it just depends on the person. And the best way to kind of know with any degree of certainty on who would benefit from those and what they would benefit from would be that muscle test. That's what we utilize. So some people see it as a little bit more voodoo. <laughs> people who've never had it done are, are so, you know, are kind of turned off by it. But um, for people who've had it done and have seen phenomenal benefits, it's just, it's really, really amazing. And I myself have, have gone through different protocols that, um, that have made an absolute world of a difference in my life. And my boyfriend recently too, I don't think he'll mind me saying this. Um, he was uh, several weeks back, he was diagnosed with palsy, which we know is more viral. Um, and he's tested negative for Lyme and all that. But um, we had him on a different, uh, a, a very specific protocol with um, some some real high quality herbal products. And we were able to um, help help pretty significantly is at about 95% um, better and completely, I mean, and within two weeks, two or three weeks, um, you wouldn't even have noticed that he had the bells. And so we were able to stay away from, you know, the the medications that they would have used on him instead. So in situations like that, too, it's really cool to kind of see, um, not cool that he had the bells, but cool to see how, how well some of the herbal products can work for people. So with the muscle testing, I mean, worked for him, it's worked for me and plenty of other patients. So really awesome. interesting. And that's uh, people that people can do that just at the clinic. There, they go in and see you in person and, and get that done. Yeah, yep, yep. Very cool, very cool. Well, well where's where's uh, all your social channels pointing? Where where can people go to find out more about you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram and it's Cassie underscore Wild. Awesome. I will link out to that. And, and Cassie, I truly do appreciate you taking the time. I had a lot of questions and I learned a ton. So I, I do appreciate it. I thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Robert. It was so fun to chat with you. Take care. Have a good one. Yes, you too.